Let's take our Bibles and go to the book of uh, Kings, 1 Kings chapter 17, and uh, enjoyed the music this morning, worshiping together, even when we were rehearsing a little earlier, just really enjoying it, and we're going to sing a little more before we're done today, and I'm looking forward to that as well. If you found your place in 1 Kings, I'm going to begin reading in verse number 1, and we'll read uh, from verse number 1 down through verse number uh, 8, and um, this is going to... Uh, give us the introduction to Elijah's ministry, and then the transitional statement in here, and uh, we'll take our message from these passages this morning. And so if you would like to join me and stand in reading, you may do so. Uh, we'll begin in verse number one of First Kings 17. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and fish in the morning, and bread and fish in the evening, and he drank of the brook. And it came to pass, after a while, that the brook dried up, and because there had been no rain in the land, and the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for the word of God, Lord, thank you that it speaks to the circumstances we find ourselves in, Father, thank you that, Lord... Uh, though these verses were not written to us, they are for us, and where we can take them and apply them to our life, or may we take the example of Elijah and learn from it this morning. May we take the example of those around him and learn from it in the weeks to come, and Lord, we'll just ask you to bless and to work in our midst. In the precious name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. And so then as we continue with our thoughts on Elijah, and of course you can be seated there, as uh, we continue with our thoughts on Elijah, um, Elijah is this prophet who jumps off the pages of Scripture. Uh, we know nothing about him until the moment that we open our Bibles to 1 Kings 17. And we find him being Elijah the Tishbite. We find him going into the king's palace and making a prophecy of God's judgment that would come. Um, the wording here lets us know that this was not a popular message. God tells Elijah to go and hide himself because in very short order he would be a wanted man and the king and the queen would be seeking for his life and wanting to put him to death. Elijah is a part of the last prophecy that we find in the Old Testament and it's prophesied that his, the spirit of Elijah one would come. We see him appearing in the New Testament on the Mount of Transfiguration and then probably, and many would agree with me on this, he'll be one of the two witnesses in the book of Revelation. And so we see Elijah throughout the pages of Scripture. We see him uh, sustained by God. We see him provided by God. We see him being shaped and taught by God's Word. Now this drought that has come upon the land, this by no means was Elijah's doing, but it was God's prophecy to the land. And God uses his messenger to bring it about. And it is not an uncommon thing when the messenger of God brings an unpopular message that the people get angry with the messenger, not the one who gave the message. Uh, but yet he's still bold enough to bring the message. 
The drought was one of punishment, and this was threatened by the law. If Israel forsook God and turned to other gods, that God would send a drought upon the land. In uh, Deuteronomy eleven seventeen, we find these words, And the Lord's wrath be kindled against you. He will shut up the heavens, and there shall be no rain, and the land will not yield her fruit, lest ye perish quickly from off the good land which the Lord giveth you. And 28, 23 of Deuteronomy, And the heaven that is over thy head shall be brass, and the earth that is under thee shall be iron. Leviticus 26, 19, And I will break the pride of your power. What a statement. I will break the pride of your power, and will make the heaven as iron, and the earth as brass. And the prophecy had been given a long time ago, all the way back in Deuteronomy and Leviticus under Moses' ministry, that there would come a day if Israel turned from Yahweh, that he would judge the nation of Israel by withholding rain from the land. It's interesting that when God judges nations, he does so with just simple things. When we look at the nation of Egypt under God's judgment, when the children of Israel were being brought out, We don't see uh, huge calamities of fire and brimstone being poured out, but we see lice and bugs and flies and frogs and darkness and water turned to blood. And these are the things that bring the nation to its knees. Here God again is looking at a nation, His people. His people in a way that no other nation has been called the people of God. And no other nation will ever be called the people of God in this way. They were his people. They were his called out nation that he had raised up from the seed of Abraham for the purpose of showing the world his glory and bringing about his plan of redemption had turned their back on a holy God and were now worshiping a false God. Elijah goes in and he proclaims the fact that the famine is coming. He proclaims the fact that the judgment of God is falling And now we fast forward, some say as much as a year later, and the famine's in full swing. Hunger is now spreading across the land. Troubles are compounded as there is no food for the animals, and the animals cannot produce the work, and the fields cannot handle the crops. Elijah is sent by God to the brook Cherith. He sent there and he said, in the morning the ravens will bring you food, and in the evenings the ravens will bring you food, and you will drink from the brook Cherith. He goes by faith to the brook Cherith. He's gone in a troubled time to where God has told him to go. He's followed God's plan. And let me just say this, just because a storm comes doesn't mean that God's not leading. God led him to the brook, and now the brook dries up. We see in verse number 7 of our text, and it came to pass that after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. The brook dries up. You know, I imagine Elijah sitting there day after day and the time must have drug out for him as he was alone hiding, as he was isolated, as he was quarantined there by the brook Cherith, and as he waited and those days crawled by, and he was fed by the ravens in the morning, fed by the ravens in the evening, and he watched the brook. I don't know about you, but I think I would have measured the brook. I'd have measured its depth. And maybe Elijah had that same kind of thinking. Maybe he had a stick planted by that brook somewhere, and he was watching that brook as the water level began to drop. And how many of us do that every day of our life? We turn the news on, and we're watching the water level. 
We're turning the news on and we're working at all these things that are going on around us. And Elijah's watching this brook and seeing it get smaller and smaller. And let me just say this. Worry is the result of spending too much time watching the brook instead of listening to the word of God. Because God is the one that brought you to where you are, and he is the one that will lead you to where you need to go. God has been the God of Shelby Bible Church all along, and he's no, more, he's no less that today than he was four weeks ago. He is still in control, he is still the God of the universe, and he's doing what God does, and that is showing himself to be mighty. And he always will do that. You see, the brooks and the ravens were supplied by God. God is the one who gave uh, the brook the water to run in, uh, and uh, the, the water to run in the brook, and God is the one that gave the meat to the ravens to bring to Elijah. He was the one that gave that provision. And daily provision from God is as much a miracle as the brook and the raven. Today, you and I have the wonderful privilege, and, and we are still blessed to have food to eat and a roof over our head and so many comforts, and you're watching this because you have internet and electricity in your home. And all of these blessings are still on us, and let's not mistake the fact that God's supernatural provision is no less, is no more a miracle than his daily provision. When we think of God allowing the crops to grow in the field and the water to run in its cycles... It is a supernatural and a powerful thing that God is providing. Let me remind you again that if God is not the one sustaining the brook, the brook cannot continue. And if God is not the one sustaining us, we cannot continue. And so we look then at God at work. I don't know about you, but I am a one-task kind of person. I don't want to do a bunch of things at once. I want to do one thing. And when we get that done, then we'll do the next thing, and then we'll do the next thing, and we'll do the next thing. Oftentimes, I'll come home, and I've got my mind in a track, and Susie will ask me a question about something else, and I'm like, hold on a second, got to change gears for a second. got to get my mind on that thing. And doing one thing at a time and doing it well is hard enough for me. And yet what we see is a God here that is working on multiple levels. At the same time, he's accomplishing many things. We see not only a nation being turned to God. And when we get later in the text, the, the picture of God turning this nation to himself is the idea of God grabbing their face between his hands and saying, look at me, let me have your attention. And that's what God is trying to do the nation of Israel. How many of you had a mama that would reach out and pinch your cheeks and say, now look at me. And they would hold them cheeks there until you made eye contact. And that's what God is doing with the nation of Israel as he's turning his head back to him and saying, look at me. I'm the God who brought you up out of Egypt. I'm the God that delivered you. Worship me. And he's trying his best to get their attention. And he's working to turn that nation to God. But at the same time, God's people are being tested and trained. Elijah is not the only prophet that lives through this famine, and many other prophets are being uh, squirreled away in different hiding places, and God is using this to test and to train his people. He's exposing who his people are, and the people of God rise up in the midst of these times, and they're tested and they're trained, and God is being magnified in Israel He's being magnified among the heathen nations. He's showing himself mighty in Judea. And all along, the work of redemption is being preached. The work of redemption is still being told in this story because we see a death and a resurrection in just a few more verses where the resurrection is in front of us still. 
and God's plan is still marching forward, and God is doing all this thing. And a lot of times we can look and we say, God, what are you doing? And maybe we're not even talking about the current situation we find ourselves in. Maybe you're talking about another situation at another time in your life when you're thinking, God, what are you doing? What are these circumstances trying to do? I would say God's doing more than one thing. I would say God is working in many levels, and he's trying to accomplish his purpose for his glory. And so we have to learn when the brook dries up to trust God. When God's means of provision is no longer his means of provision, what next? What do we do now when the brook dries up? But God, you sent the famine. You told me to tell Ahab the famine was coming, and now the brook has dried up. This is where you sent me. What's the deal? I mean, I'm watching it, and yesterday it was down to just a trickle. Lord, what are you going to do? How are you going to provide? When are you going to meet the need? Let me say this. God was already working. God was already planning. God already had a purpose. And so what do we do when the brook is drying up? Let me give you a couple of admonitions. First off, let's have faith in the goodness of God. The goodness of God. You see, why, why did the brook dry up? You know, and a lot of people will say, why do, why do bad things happen to good people? And I would think that question needs to be rewarded. Why does anything good happen to any of us? Why is there any good in this world left at all? Because God is still gracious and he is long-suffering to usward. He is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And God withholds his judgment because of his grace. And God allows goodness in this world because of his grace. Maybe we could look at this text and say, well, was God chastening Elijah? Well, no, I won't think he's chasing Elijah. Was he chasing the nation? Yes, he was. He was instructing Elijah through this. He was using this time to teach Elijah who God is and who he was. You know, a lot of times we look at this, was God not able to sustain the brook? Could not God have left Elijah by the brook Cherith and left the ravens coming day and night to feed him? Well, absolutely he could. But Elijah had already learned to trust God by the brook Cherith. Now he wanted to move him to another place where he would learn to trust God in a different place. And now he has another place after that that he's going to learn to trust God. And another place that he's going to take him to trust God. And God's lesson at the brook Cherith was done, and so he moves him on. Surely God should have supplied water there at the brook Cherith. He's the God who just with the strike of a rod upon a stone fed, uh, watered a three and a half million Jews in the wilderness. He's the God that rained manna from the sky. There's no question that God could have sustained Elijah there. But Elijah wouldn't have learned to trust God any more than he already did by the brook Cherith if he had stayed. So why do brooks dry up? I think it would be fair to say that oftentimes Testing and trying comes because of personal chastisement. I think we can find times in our life where God is trying to get our attention. I don't know what's going on in your life, but maybe God's trying to get your attention. Give him your attention. Repent. Submit. Call on him in faith. He is still the God who is willing to forgive and to wash away our sins. And I'm so thankful for the book of 1 John because the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Brooks dry up because of willful and ungodly acts of others. God judges and God is the one who can judge. You and I go through the suffering of others. And with the suffering of others. 
But we understand this, that even in God's chastening of this nation of Israel at the time that Elijah finds himself in the drought, that God is still working his purposes. And all things still work together for good to them who love him and are the called according to his purpose. God is using it for his glory. God is working all things according to his purpose. This morning, that even when God chastens a nation, even when God is putting chastisement upon an individual, it is never a sense in which God is doing so to simply be punitive. But he's doing so to draw them back to himself and to bring them back into fellowship. And when God corrects them, by the way, parents, when we correct, let it not be a punitive correction, but be a restorative correction of wanting to bring them back into fellowship. You see, nothing is outside his control And though would it seem that evil men run free to do all the evil they wish to do, God's purposes are not slowed nor thwarted by man's rebellion. Man's evil becomes the backdrop of God's grace. And all through history that has been the case. We find Pharaoh being evil and God sends judgment. But what do we see on the backdrop of Pharaoh's rebellion? We see God's deliverance. And all through the Bible we see that. We see Pharaoh and we see his belligerence. We see Pilate and his belligerence. And in the darkest moment of human history, and everything is blacked and literally the sun itself stops shining. On the backdrop of that darkness and man's greatest evil and greatest betrayal, we see the grace of God shining through from the cross. Because no matter what man would rise up to do, God is still in control and God is still making his name known and glorifying himself through his purposes. He will not be put down. You see, God is allowing a direct testing for his glory to produce faith and patience in our life. These circumstances we find ourselves in today are no less God's ordering than if you had walked up to a burning bush this morning and God said to you, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. Now here's my plan for you this week. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to stay in your house with your family and be kind all week long. And that's my commission to you. But too often, we look at that as like, well, that's not that big of a deal, but that is the command you've been given. The command we've been given is to show patience in the midst of this and to show charity and love in the midst of it and to walk patiently and to apologize when we've done wrong and to acknowledge it because it's just as much God's command as it was to Moses to go and set the people free. His word is no less effective and no less authoritative now. We see the consequences of our fallen nature often bring correction. And our hope is the fact that there is a resurrection, that this nature is not all there is. Let me say, not only do we believe in God's goodness, that God is a good God using the circumstances of a fallen world to draw the people that he has called to himself. Not only is that the God we serve, but we must also believe in the the ability of God. I think sometimes we see God as good, but we don't see God as mighty. God is able to save and to destroy. God is working to supply our need before we are even aware of our need. One of my favorite books in the Bible is the book of Ruth. And uh, my wife did a study through the book of Ruth, and she does the quoting of the first uh, two and a half chapters, I think it is, of that book. And it's just a powerful passage of Scripture. Just having it quoted to you is powerful. Well, one of my favorite little lines in that is Ruth and Naomi are coming back from Moab, and as they're coming into Moab, I think it's the end of chapter number one, 
The Bible says, and they came into Bethlehem at the time of the barley harvest. And I got to thinking about that. The barley harvest had been planted several months earlier. It was planted long before they left Moab. And yet God allowed the fields to be planted and to grow to prepare for the provision of Ruth and Naomi when they got to Bethlehem. And God's purposes were being worked in the midst of that. God is preparing the work ahead of the time. We're going to find in the weeks to come here that Elijah, not only is he getting the message to go to Zarephath, but also the widow of Zarephath is being commissioned that, hey, there's someone coming. I want you to provide for his needs. So God is preparing a work ahead. God is able. God is good. Let me say this. Look beyond the object of God's provision and see the God who provides. So often when we're in the moment, we look at the object that God uses or the means of God's provision. I've seen it happen so many times that we can almost fall in love with a job because this job is the means by which God has provided, but that job is not your God. The most upsetting thing is to see someone who begs God for provision, and then once the provision comes along, they walk away from God. Maybe your brook Cherith has become a God to you. And if that Cherith begins to dry up, you turn your back on God. Let me say this, Cherith was not the ones meeting Elijah's needs. God was meeting his needs. God is the one meeting your need. You see, too often we are blessed of God through means that become our source of confidence. And how quickly we're reminded of how weak we are. We as a nation and yea as a world are brought to our knees and brought to a grinding halt by a virus we can't even see. And what we need to be reminded is that God is still in control and God is powerful. Man is weak, he is strong. And we rest in that. God wants it clear that what he has provided that he is the provider, not the brook and not the ravens. It is not my job. It is not my strength. It is not my intellect. See, God often puts things just outside of our resources so we see his power and provision. We can't do this. And so now, therefore, God has to. So let me say then, in number four, follow God's word. Put your confidence in God's word. Notice how much of this text is centered on the Word of God. Elijah comes in verse number 1, and we see Elijah there in verse 1, delivering God's Word to, Eli to Ahab. And verse number 2, and the Word of the Lord came unto him. Verse 3 and 4 are quotations from God directly. Verse 5, he went and did according to the Word of the Lord. Verse 6, we see the ravens carrying out what God had commanded them to do. In verse number 6, the brook dries up, and in verse number 8, and the word of the Lord came unto him. And we see God's word being delivered time and time again. And just these short eight verses, the word of God is mentioned over and over again. You see, his word led us to this point. His word brought us to where we are. His word will sustain us in the present, and his word will guide us home. We sing the song often, his grace has led me safe this far. His grace will lead me home. And we believe that, and we affirm that. It was always his word that sustained us. Let me say this, as a people of God and as a nation, the famine that we should fear is not a 1 Kings 17 famine. The 1 Kings 17 famine is a famine of bread. A famine of no food to eat. 
But it is a famine of Amos chapter number 8 and verse 11 when he says this, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor of thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. In Deuteronomy chapter 8 and 3, the Bible says this, And he humbled thee. He's talking about the nation of Israel in the midst of their wilderness journey. He said, He humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger, that he might make thee to know that man doth not live by bread only, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. And this is a greater famine than any famine of bread that Elijah could ever go through is a famine where we are ignoring the word of God and we are silent to closing our ears off to the word of God. And so in the moments of famine, when you find yourself and God is doing what he's doing and we don't understand what God's doing, we can still trust that God is good, God is able, and his word is sufficient. And we can rest in that, even in the midst of this famine. Because, friend, this morning, if all of our wealth goes away and we still have the Word of God in our hands, we are wealthy people this morning. Because we do not have a famine of Amos where the Word of God is shut up. God, open our eyes to hear the Word of God. And if it need be that our bellies be hungry and our pockets be a little empty for us to see our need of the Word of God, then so be it. This is a greater famine that we should fear than any setback in economy, any setback in our church, that we would have hunger for the Word of God. You know, I wonder, somebody said this the other day, I saw it on Facebook. He said, maybe just God got so upset with us that he sent us all to our rooms. I thought it was humorous, and I think it was intended to be. But what a shame it would be if God slowed down our pace of life and we fail to turn to his word more. And as the pace of life has slowed down for so many of us, let's not ignore the word of God. Let's dig deep into the word of God. Let's read long. Let's spend our time there and let the word of God be what sustains us when the brook dries up. He's got a purpose. And by the way, he's not done with Elijah. He's fixing to take him into a step of ministry now. Ministry in the famine is still possible. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and through us. We thank you for the resting that we can have in the word of God. And what I pray, Father, this morning as we close the service in song, that, Father, you'd be magnified. Lord, we ask you that you would take what is said this morning, that you would use it for your glory. In the precious name of Jesus, we ask all these things. Amen. God bless you folks.